0: The Prevention and Early Intervention Network is pleased to bring to you our podcast series Perspectives on Prevention. My name is Marianne Quinn and in this podcast I'll be meeting people who have experiences to share, insights to explore and expertise to draw on from the field of child and family services. We hope these conversations inspire, challenge and engage anyone interested in improving outcomes for children, families and communities. This episode of Perspectives on Prevention focuses on working with vulnerable families and developing relationship-based engagement. Christine Dowling from Extern shares her experiences of getting her foot in the door and developing sustainable supports. Christine, I'm delighted to welcome you to this edition of Perspectives on Prevention. Christine, I'm aware that following your graduation as a social care worker, you've worked in a number of different roles. But even before that, you volunteered with Freuger, you were involved with the GAA. You've clearly been drawn to working with, I suppose, vulnerable groups and maybe, you know, particularly young people. So just maybe just tell me where has that come from for you? What's the motivation for you in in
1: going into social care my motivation I suppose for coming into social care it was all voluntary based you know like if someone if for example if I was to go into a program for myself I'm going in for myself and usually that's the case with um a lot of the the people that I would have worked with they're there for themselves because they needed the support it's not forced or, you know, that it's mandated or, you know, like some services like counseling services or community based programs might be um, mandated through courts or, or that kind of a thing. So, yeah, I, I it has all stemmed through my childhood, I think, from from all the support I would have gotten um, from sport right into my education and that has led to where I am today.
0: And is that voluntary aspect
1: um, important? Do
0: you think it would be very different if your service users, clients
1: came to you through a mandated process? Yes and no. I think if, um, like with the work I'm in at the minute, because the families I work with are identified through um, TUSLA, and the that's the portal they'll come in through, are us. At the end of the day, the service we provide is voluntary. So... It's up to the families when we go in and introduce ourselves and tell them what the intensive home support service is. Uh, we, give, we give them complete autonomy over what they want to do, how we're going to work. We actually ask them, because sometimes um, I, I've learned through experience that when you, walk, when you walk into, or sorry, when you're trying to provide a service to a family and they're being told, well, you need to do this, this, and this, Marion, to get this. And whereas we go in with the approach, um, well, this is what we've been told that's going on. Can you tell me why we're here today? And, you know, so we're giving it back to them. And then the, the person feels a lot, not just the person, the, the family, and uh, the individual, the young person, they feel a lot more relaxed in the environment. Um, in comparison to residential care, a child in residential care um, has maybe no choice of being there you know they might have been removed through whatever reasons that social workers may have felt their home environment wasn't safe for them um, and so on and so forth so um, I am and how aware, does that change how does that change how you work
0: with the service user so you know if you have a young person who's in residential care not wanting to be there they're you know because they have no choice Um, as opposed to a young person in a family where you've been invited in and where the family is part of sort of finding the solutions how does
1: what how how does that change the way you work with them I don't think it changes the way I work with them I suppose it's your approach we're still going to be doing the same support intervention pieces it's just it might take a few more weeks to build up the relationship and you know and that's that's the foundation of anything it's having those small conversations I'm not here to do and make you do something you don't want to do if you don't want to go out of the bed today so be it why is it I'm just worried why do you not want to go out of the bed? So, you know so bringing everything back into a full circle excuse me and asking the young person what do they want because sometimes children are, are are forgotten about I feel you know, it's everything, decisions are made for them. Whereas if a child is asked, actually, what do I want? I'm not saying you're, you're going to be able to get this, but if we know what you want, then that escalation of like, you know, outbursts, especially in residential care, like outbursts can escalate right up to like physical and property damage. And, um, and I do think as well, the mental health factor of, um, the mental health support of a child needs to be there as well so we're like, I think everything comes hand in hand it's all down to communication I feel mm-hmm. um, Where, whereas the voluntary aspect with the families I'm not saying uh, that it's always successful there is we have a we have a suppose a prevention uh, time frame so like our first six to eight weeks if we are getting zero engagement from the families we go back then to our our referrals and we say look at this family can't engage with us we we can't stay we can't stay working with them maybe they might come back again in a couple of months time but we'll close that case and we'll open another family Do you know so
0: in your experience where families can't or won't engage what
1: what's going on there do you think honestly it's their previous experience of services Do you know um I think this con- the, the, the country we live in has a negative approach to social workers. Everybody thinks a social worker is there to take a child away from their family when that's actually not the case. Social worker wants to help the family, the child stay within the family home. And I think once they hear, oh, IHSS is coming in because the social workers feel this, you know, and it's the delivery If a family is not engaged, and I'm I'm speaking from experience here, when we started four years ago on this project, we have learned so much as a team, as a a project, uh, not just in where we're based in Kildare, but across Ireland, where all the other IHSS projects are, that it's the delivery of the the programme to the families. So if 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 the manager, so if our manager is part of that delivery of the service, Information, then that makes an awful lot of um, the reception of it. So, so, it, so what sense, what
0: what have you learned about that delivery? What are, what are the kind of key, you know, action points about how to maximise the
1: engagement with the family from the outset? A key component of our delivery of service is to be actually in the family home. So if we do not, that's why I said earlier on, if in the first six to eight weeks, if we're not literally stepping foot inside that door, then we do not know the workings of that family. And that's not to say we're being nosy. It's to find out that, oh, well, we can see that mam really gets frustrated if a, if, if a child is acting a certain way, or, you know, this actually could have been done last night, the lunches could have been prepped, or, you know, simple simplistic things that, like you or I may see as, as being very easy to do and some families may struggle. At the end of the day, there could be mental health struggles there. There could be addiction struggles. There could be um, there could be 101 things. So the main thing we learned is to be in the door with the families. And it's literally sitting there. Obviously, all this is nearly pre-COVID. COVID mm-hmm. did impact our service, um, but we adjusted and we adapted to, to COVID living. But it's literally sitting at the table having a conversation um, and observing, presumably observing, really kind
0: of doing yeah. a lot of observing. So how do families generally react to somebody coming to their door to offer help? And secondly, what do the staff need in order to feel comfortable in that space? Because it's it's it could be awkward for the, the staff as well. So, so how, do you, how do you support staff in,
1: in going into a home? Well, I suppose the first part of it was you asked about the parents or the family welcoming them in. I suppose it's down to, I think, our personalities as well. I think the morale amongst the team is, is something. Um, but to go in non-judgmental, I think, or ju- not, not to be judgmental and to come from a caring point of view. And we, it could take a couple of weeks for us to get our foot inside the door and i think to prepare ourselves as staff i think it all comes down to reading our referral form knowing, getting our hand over from the social worker an idea not not all the information is accurate we and that's something you learn from being in social care what's put, documented isn't is not always as it is and um yeah is reading and talking to whoever is with that family so if it's not just us if there's a if there's um, an EWO, if there's an education welfare officer, if there's somebody from mental health services, CAMS, if there's a YAP, if there's a previous service in there, if you know, talk to as many people as you can. This is what we would prepare ourselves with, and find out. So, what do the families like? What do the families not like is most important. What are the trigger? What are the trigger warnings? What not to say? And that's how we would prepare. Mm-hmm. And and then obviously we'd have the meeting. And we'd get in. And sometimes it's it's difficult. Like we've had, a, a, we have had experiences with families where we walk in and it's very shocking to see the condition that some families mm-hmm. live in. And then I suppose you have the opposite end where you have a, a very highly functioning family that is a working class family and that are, this is the first time them ever having an intervention in place. Do you know? I would like to say nearly 80% of the of the families and referrals we get are in are receiving care or support from services for a number of years. Christine,
0: when we talk about making those changes, helping families to make positive changes and recognizing obviously every family is unique and and many families will have a number of complex issues, are there kind of core things that people need? So you talked about some basic kind of organisational skills, you know, having lunch ready the night before and stuff. Are there there some core things that nearly always come up
1: or that tend to recur? Family routine is probably one of the most reoccurring themes with all of our families. And that was really a challenge of ours with, with COVID. When COVID impacted two years ago, March two years ago, like we definitely seen how... A family was able to function. To now having to function with doing homeschool and, you know, <laughs> balancing screen times. Like screen times is unbelievably such a challenge in a family. Down to like you know the parents. If the if a, if a parent or the parents or whoever the, the care or guardian is of the family we work we work with, are working. You know, so there's all these elements we have to consider. And this was the challenge from COVID nineteen. But pre COVID, yeah, it was definitely family routine. I think um, boundaries and behaviours would be another reoccurrence. So like putting in place um, what are families doing for their children and for themselves as parents. Because you, it, 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 it's, it is well known that some parents don't know their own boundaries. And we tease them out, we'll, like, especially from being in the house and obviously offering, we do offer um, residential respite nights. But those are just not only for the children, they are for the families as well. Like We only had one recently where we brought the whole family, the the guardians and the children. And those are gold because those are the events that we would see the actual family routine, the behavioural patterns, how, how they react when one child does something else or if a parent says something, how the child reacts and how we can support the parent. You know, when you say this, the child retreats into themselves because maybe your voice may be too loud or maybe you need to be a little bit more firm because the child is actually taking advantage of you here. They're they're pushing their boundaries with you. The emotional needs of not only the kids, of the parents. If, if the parent or the, the guardian of the family that we work with, if they feel that they are they're not coping well we'll help them get into some sort of counseling service or or, or a parent support group or parents and toddlers especially if we're working with new parents and I think the main thing from the whole project is that we will always look locally because once we leave like yes we we can do really nice and lo- and lo- luxurious things like bringing them to Tate park as a treat or bringing them to the zoo but at the end of the day we need to be mindful that this parent or the guardian of this family of this of the children are not going to maintain this and the children don't we don't want to give too much expectation to the child say oh well when extern leaves you're going to be we they were able to bring us to the zoo why can't you do this do you know so it's always rewarded based that way do you know like we can get so many weeks of doing working on cooking or working on we'll do a four-week cooking program and at the end of it, we might have a trip to Dublin Zoo or whatever it is. Um, but the resources in the area so that in particular, if a family doesn't have uh, uh, access to a car, if they're only using local transport, then we look literally locally what's in their area. Is there a family resource centre that maybe they can go? Is there a men's shed for the support for the men in the family? Is there libraries that, you know, that kids can get involved in reading clubs and youth clubs? Like Froiga, for instance, or the the whatever local youth group is in their area. Yeah, so it's sustainable. It it has a life beyond the
0: the intensive uh, home support service. You're listening to Perspectives on Prevention. To subscribe to our podcast, go to Nearcast, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Christine, when you worked with young people in residential care you noted that for some of those children some of those young people had their parents had support along the way the young people may not have ended up in residential care that could have been prevented what 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 kinds of things did you
1: observe what what do you think those missed opportunities were a massive interest of mine and it's something that I I integrate into my current study as a psychotherapist is generational pieces and in particular generational trauma and I think if um if a family have experienced trauma be it drug use um prison sentences um a death or a very bad accident or whatever the case may be that caused trauma in that family's life and if a family are not given the tools to cope Coping strategies, I think, is the main thing. With the kids I worked with in care over the years, I noticed well. For for one mate, one was drugs was drug use, and it was seen by their pa- parent of this of this family who used drugs. Therefore, the child ended up starting to use drugs and getting into criminal activity. So I think for if that family had got support services in. Earlier, you know, to maybe get the parents onto maybe a drug rehabilitation program, counselling, supporting the children, and giving the, the children useful information that you know this is what drugs do to you, and this is where they can lead you. I think information is is the is the key. I also have this wacky theory that um, when we're born, we are. obviously we're our parents and then we're brought to the doctor or the the community nurse that comes out to the home and they see the child and they make sure they go in and they get their boosters and their vaccines and their checkups and and that kind of a thing. I believe that if there is no intervention from let's just say six to nine months old until that child enters school, if the child doesn't go into a creche or preschool, there is services there that is going to identify if there is abuse of like, or if there's a need not being met because they're going to see it in the child. Therefore intervention services can be identified straight away. But if that child is not in any educational system or any sort of, um, maybe with a childminder or something, they are gone four to five years without anyone looking in on them, unless there's a need, like unless there's, a doctor or nesters, a family member that is heavily involved and, and, and has concerns, then maybe a phone call might go to to Tusla and say, I'm concerned. But I think those are the those are the golden years. If if a parent and it might be true no fault of a parent being an addict or um or where where we think the worst case scenario is the parent might just have postnatal depression. The mother might have postnatal depression or the dad there could be a rupture in the relationship because of the strain of a child you know so um all these things where are quite natural when a child is put, comes into the world and comes into a new relationship and people are afraid to put their hand out for help mm-hmm. whereas if somebody actually sees it and states it oh I see today that uh, you look very tired today and you did the last couple of days when you came in or last week when you came in for your for your meeting or appointment or whatever it is I, I think that's where we could nearly break the generational cycle of things, because you, you would see it and you see it time and time again with um, young people, you'll start to see things are literally reoccurring again.
0: It can be very hard to say to a parent, I think there might be something wrong here, can't it? I mean, I'm thinking even at a friendship level, never mind in a why well, maybe it's easier in a professional capacity but it's, it could be very, it's a hard thing to say to a parent, I'm, I'm concerned about your child. And even more difficult to say, I'm concerned about your parenting. So how, how do you get to the point of being able to do that? What does that
1: take? If you're looking at both on a friendship level or on a professional level, like on a professional level, I agree with you. I think that it's easier to ask these questions because that's your job at the end of the day. But I would treat that questioning as if I was talking to a friend. Mm, that's a really you nice know. distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I, at the end of the day, I would treat somebody regardless of their status, regardless of their background, regardless of their upbringing, how I would want to be treated. So I think you pick your timing, you pick your setting. Like you're not going to pick and ask somebody in front of a, a group full a room full of their family members and saying, God, I think there's something wrong here. Do you know, the little baby there is, is looking quite sick. What are you not doing? Do you know, yeah. so that's... yeah. They're going to have their backup straight away. See, you pick, you bring them out for a, for a cup of coffee, a walk, and you say, look at... I, and this is where our relationship building, to bring this back to, like, the work I'm doing now, and even the work in residential care, it's all down to the relationship building. If those individuals can trust you to talk about something and this is where all the disclosures come out and they know where to feel safe enough enough to talk knowing that if they say something that identifies us having to report on further there's they know they're actually safe to do so because we'll be there to support them so by using utilizing the relationship sometimes humor do you know Mm -hmm. humor is is an amazing tool and i don't mean like as in taking the rip out of somebody I like just using it gently like you know um and just naming it sometimes just being completely transparent and saying I'm I'm working with you now a good two three months and I've just noticed in the last number of weeks you started to decline and this is now I think is impacting the baby or the children am I wrong tell me what do you think do you feel you need support it's it's all about being person-centred and being transparent because at the end of the day, I will not report on to somebody like a social worker without me telling the families, unless I obviously feel that the individual at hand is, at, is a risk to the, to the family if, if reporting on.
0: How do you manage extracting yourself from the families? What's that like both for the families and, and for you? Because presumably you get to know them very well and... You must get, you know, very attached and, and get to like people and they get to like you. So what's that like?
1: How does that get managed? I suppose uh, I agree with you there. Like we become nearly part of the family. Do you know, like we'd be, we'd be organizing birthday parties for whoever Do you know so We're very much involved because like we're with this family three, four, five times a week. And we have a 24 hour um, uh, support uh, phone call service, Do you know, so. Like, we're 24-7 support for that family. Um, How we extract ourselves, well, once we, we would do uh, every four or every two months, we do a review meeting. And once we come to maybe month 10, if the family are still on the service at month 10, we would be looking at a closure piece. And the closure piece then is making sure that, the family are equipped, like I mentioned earlier on about the resources in the area. Are you able to do that? We w- then we slowly withdraw our service. So if we're in that with that family, four or five days a week. If it's not just me, it could be my colleague because it's a team approach. We'll pull that down to three days a week. Then in the last four weeks of the service, we might be in there, the last two two week two days a week, and then maybe one day a week until okay. And then we'll do a nice closure piece. Like we will we'll go for we'll either get, go somewhere for a nice dinner or we'll bring them on a nice outing or we'll do a respite night for all of them and do like nice things, nice activities. I will admit some families I I I struggled to see closing because I had great time for them and then others I knew we weren't the right service. There was, there was better services and maybe more, even more intense, as intense as we are as a service. I think there's there's more supports there that are, that could do that family uh, a, a justice you know okay. okay they needed something else yeah they needed something else yeah.
0: yeah okay well christine it's been lovely talking to you thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom about your work with families and um i wish you well in your studies Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Prevention, the podcast series created by the Prevention and Early Intervention Network. We hope these conversations inspire, affirm, and excite you. To find out more, check out our website at www.pein.ie. To listen to all episodes of Perspectives on Prevention, be sure to subscribe to our podcast at Nearcast, Spotify,
1: Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.